Eventually Super Train, episode 148. I am your main host, Dan. Welcome to the short-lived podcast that covers short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will cover Super Train. All right, in this episode we are starting off with some Lucan. Season 1, episode 7, the final episode of uh, season 1 of the show. Uh, and, of course, Amanda uh, Reyes will be joining me, as always, to discuss Pariah. And then I, me, will be discussing the seventh episode of Gemini Man, the second one that didn't air on the network. The show was already canceled at this point. The episode 8, 9, 10, You're Dead, the boxing episode. And then Mr. Christopher Bly is back. Uh, and we will be discussing Galactica 1980, episode 2, Galactica Discovers Earth. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I should shut up and let you join our favorite wolf boy on the run. Pariah, not the pariah, as I've seen online. Episode 7 of Season 1, the final episode of Season 1 of Lucan, aired March 27th, 1978, written by Stephen E. the Sousa, huh, directed by Curtis Harrington, huh, with Cousin Oliver himself, Robbie Rist, as Davy, Shelley Fabars as Marsha, and, yes, the great Robert Reed as Les. Hey, Robert Reed is here! And, of course, hold on a little bit, everyone, because at the end of this episode, you're going to get some more exciting Robert Reed action in Galactica 1980. So, uh, what is going on with this episode? Did you notice, we don't mention, did you notice the how horribly they've <laughs> scheduled this show? Because the first episode was September 12, 77, and then they aired the entirety of Pedro San Pedro Beach Bums. And the second episode was December 26th, then the second search, Lost Boy, How Do You Run Forever, One Punch Wolf, said aired a week after December 26th, January 2nd, January 9th, January 16th. And then there was two months in between One Punch Wolf said, You Can't Have My Baby. And the thing was, there were only five episodes of the show, so they can't have... If they reached, they, they wouldn't have reshown... They may have reshown the first one from September, but I doubt they would have re-aired like the search one month after it originally aired so in those two months i i need to check a schedule and see i'll get back to you when we start season two i'll need to check a schedule to see i wonder if those two months they put another show in there that would be interesting because january 16th one punch wilson the next episode is march 13th and then this episode is is two weeks after that Gosh, now I want to check a schedule. I'll have it for you next time, everyone, because this episode's already cooking, and it's something I could just be making up. Uh, so, uh, in this episode, uh, Lucan helps a little boy who's about to uh, fall off a gigantic bridge building construction site thing. He saves the boy's life, uh, and the little boy takes him home, meets his parents, and his dad is runs a kennel and is very afraid of everyone. And we learn that it has something to do with gangsters and possibly the FBI. I won't go any deeper into it than that because I've already acted too much on this plot breakdown about stuff that wasn't plot. So let me dive right in. Amanda and I are on the other side of this. I am Zagor, 
bow down before me. <laughs> Mike, that was my Michael Zagor creator of Lucan impression. <laughs> Uh, hi everyone welcome to uh lucan season that's amanda reyes by the way amanda how are you i'm good i think i dare you to do the entire episode like that uh next time next time okay. i'm gonna have okay. to i'm gonna have to get my voice ready Bow down before the <laughs> That'll be perfect. have you done a bio on him yet like have you done like a little no no i haven't looked him up or anything i just like the, the name's fun come on you should probably do that zagor the horned one uh <laughs> um the, uh, we'll do that one of the season two episodes. I'll do my okay. Sagor voice. Because uh, this is the last episode of season one, Aww. everyone. Season one, episode seven, Pariah. With, um... Zagor Pariah. Zagor Pariah. This is a weird... It's it's written by Stephen D'Souza and, and directed by Curtis Harrington. Yay! And it, and it has in it, uh... Um, oh, what's what's the kid's name? Wrist? Ru- well, this is the weird part about it. It's got Robbie Wrist... And Robert Reed, and you yes. probably recognize them together from the Brady Bunch. But not only that, Shelley Fabre plays a character named Marsha. Yeah, that's right. And it's wow. blowing my mind. Yeah, that's fa- that's and and if anyone is going, if anyone would like to listen to the entire episode of Avengers Super Train in the last segment, Mister Bly and myself will be discussing the second episode of Galactica 1980 which began with a three-parter, both of which feature Mr. Wrist and Mr. Reed. God, they did everything together. Wow, it was crazy. It was crazy. I don't think they don't have a scene together in Galactica 1980 because uh, the, he's Mr. Wrist there is on the ship with Lauren Green and Robert Reed is the big nuclear scientist who the guys from the Galactica are trying to hang out with. You know, everybody kind of talks shit about Cousin Oliver, but I have a real <laughs> soft spot for Robbie Wrist. I yeah, think he was yeah. a really great child actor. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he. You, you're never, you're never gonna, you know, go down in history when when you're brought on as like a character to try to save the show at the last minute. You know, apart from being the character brought on to save the show at the last minute. You know, sort of Ted, <laughs> Ted McGinley, that little red-haired kid from Different Strokes. You know, that kind of thing. Like Different Strokes. Oh, Sam. When you need to bring, when your show is based around a cute little kid. And you need to bring in an even littler kid who may or may not be cuter to try to boost the ratings for your show. Something's gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, but you, you know what? I thought Andrew on Family Ties was really good. Okay. Well, th- I think something like that, I think to me that's that's almost sort of natural that they might, you know, sort of have another kid. And Didn't that, didn't like, wasn't there a thing where he was like a baby and then the next episode he was like four? Yeah, he was old enough to talk and stuff. Yeah. And he was so cute. I have... It, okay, my, that might tie into my Robbie Wrist love because, uh-huh. and also Silver Spoons because mm-hmm. like you stick a bowl on a kid's head and he's blonde <laughs> and you cut around it and you give him like that little Lord Fauntleroy haircut yes. or Oliver Twist or whatever it is. I'm like in love. I just think that's and I'm not a kid person, but that is super yeah. fucking cute and and they all have it. So I'm seeing the connections here. But I think so. Robbie Wrist was on. I do a I I try to do a side podcast called the Trap Cast, which is about Trapper John. And Robbie Wrist is on an episode, and I co- it's one of the few episodes I've covered so far. And he gets his character gets really despondent in the episode, and he gets so depressed that he can't even like talk or eat. And he's laying in bed looking out a window, and he's basically wasting away. And he really like. That's a performance coming out yeah. of Robbie Wrist, and he's like 11, mm-hmm. and it was like, God, this is like a really impressive kid. Yeah, yeah, he he was in, 
he was in something that I can't remember, <laughs> but he was in something that where I was like, oh, he's very, oh, he's very good in that. What's I'm gonna remember what it is later or later in the episode, everyone. But he was yeah, in, yeah. Well, he was in so many things. Yeah, and and I mean the thing the thing with cousin Oliver too is I whenever I think of cousin Oliver, not only do I think of Brady Bunch, but I think of what used to be the penultimate episode of the X Files, but no longer is. It's a sunshine oh, day. Oh, the Brady Bunch episode with Dave Yes, Martino. yes, where he um where where there's the guy who 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 lives in what is apparently the Brady house, but he considers himself to be sort of cousin Oliver and nobody loves him and everyone kind of, but he has, and it's a fantastic director written by Vince Gilligan, absolutely beautiful episode of, of TV. And that's sort of the cousin, cousin Oliver syndrome about a lonely kid who became a lonely guy, uh, but who has incredible psychic powers. So creates the Brady bunch around him so he can be happy. And it sound might sound kind of it is nutty. That's why I it love it. Make me uh-huh. happy. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic episode. It's a sunshine day or a sunshine day. I forget. It's the It's episode two hundred of of the show, and it's wonderful. But um, just look up Dave Faustino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, so 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 I I guess I didn't actually ask what did you think of this episode because I went off we went off on that's tangents. Okay. What do you think of this episode? Because I'm going to go off on a Robert Reed tangent. Do it. I, so, I know the moment I saw him, I was like, I know where this is going. Yeah, Robert Reed is like. So I was I talked I think on the last episode about how much in love with William Shatner I am, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even come close <laughs> yes. to how in love with Robert Reed I am and have been my entire life. I think because I grew up on the Brady Bunch Mm -hmm. and then when I got old enough to like understand other kinds of television, um, he had done a lot of it and he was great in everything. And he has done a lot of like very serious TV movies. And um, and he he also did theater. He did soap operas um, and he's a tremendous actor. And I don't think he ever got his just due in his lifetime. And I think he knew that was going to happen mm-hmm. when he was on the Brady Bunch. He was worried that if the show was popular, he would become Mr. Brady forever, which he did. And I don't think he hated it in terms of the show itself. Like he got along with everybody on the show and all the kids saw him as like another father. And he was great. But uh, but in terms of like him finding work mm-hmm. outside of that show, he knew he would struggle. So he actually was doing Mannix concurrently. Mm. Um, while the show was on, so he could be playing a different character and kind of show some range. But after that, he did a ton of TV movies, and they're all amazing. Yeah. And his performances are top-notch, and he was very savvy. And this is another kind of... Um, this is probably... like This isn't like a Emmy-winning performance or anything, but this is a good example mm. of how he would t- try to be a little different in everything. Like, he... Yes. he it was a very serious role, and he's a good dad in it. He's he's a Mr. Brady in a way, but it's not Mr. Brady. Like he's not just mm-hmm. doing the same character. And so, I just love to watch him in everything. He just he's very, yeah. He's just he, so good. And this this was around the time too, or right after I think of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which I think oh was the, yeah, which he loved before. by the way. He, and you could tell watching him in it, he is having a good time. Everyone else apart from Fake Jan seems slightly confused. Yeah. But, well, he, uh, he wanted to sing and dance. He like he he was an actor. He wanted to do all of these amazing yes. things, and and so it was this really cheeseball variety show. But then it gave him this opportunity, mm-hmm. which is how I think he looked at it. And a lot of like I can't say what Robbery was thinking when he did the stuff he did. Obviously, I'm projecting like he was savvy about this, but I think he really was fully well intentioned as an yes. actor yeah. in exploring yeah. everything that he could when he could. And so, um, yeah, so this is just, this shows if he's doing the variety show 
And he's probably no, he's not on. He never shows up on the Brady Brides. He's in the pilot film. Oh, really? Okay. But I think in the TV series, only um, Alice and Mrs. Brady, okay. aside from the two Brady daughters, yeah. are on the show. They don't bring back any of the other characters. But um, but he did do the the TV movie. Mm-hmm. That of was course. Yeah, of and course. he's great in that. Yeah. And and it will go on to do all the Brady movies. But um, he's wonderful. And the, I like this episode quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's my favorite, mm-hmm. but I do think that um, it's a pretty solid episode. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely better than There Goes That Baby. <laughs> the, the previous one, Baby Checks In. Oh, there Goes That Baby. Baby Out there West. There Goes, <laughs> Baby Out West. Um, it's, uh, it, it does, I will say, to me, it does have a bit of the, um, a, not, not as bad as the previous episode, but it does have a bit of, a bit of jumble to it. Almost, almost like there's a bit too much going there's on. There's a lot going on. And, yeah, like like with like the stuff with the gangsters or whatever the heck they are doesn't ever quite gel for me. They're not in it enough. And, and when they do, when they do sort of show up in the end, it it seems sort of the the final confrontation seems weirdly like truncated. Almost, I mean, there's a cool moment where he throws the dynamite and all of a sudden Luke and leaps in and grabs it. But it's it's also it's it feels like. I don't want to say it was almost an afterthought. Like, like maybe they were writing something that the family was going to be up to something else, and then at the last minute someone said, "No, gangsters, witness protection," you know, and and they they changed it the last minute. But the, but there is sort of a weird feeling, like some of it's kind of feels a bit script wise, a bit underdone to me. Um, just the way, yeah. Like, like, even like taking the kid to the schoolyard and having him stand up to the bullies. That's that's good, but it's also like, like in the opening scene when he winds up on top of that huge thing dangling from it. I'm like, I, did I did I leave the room for five minutes? What is happening? <laughs> how how did he get up there? You know, it's just there. It's not as bad as as the previous episode because it's sort of a bit more gr- grounded than the craziness of of whatever the hell the previous episode was trying to do. But but there is a bit of a feeling of someone I mean this is Stephen D'Souza who's a darn good writer uh, but there's almost a feeling like maybe he needed to do another draft on it yeah. or something it feels slightly unfinished or something I'm not sure what it is but there, there's something about it and it doesn't I mean I enjoyed the episode I, I don't I didn't love it but I enjoyed it uh, but there is something about it that doesn't it, it never feels like it um, fully settles in to whatever it is it's doing like I never felt like I fully got to sort of know the family or the gangsters or anything. It all just sort of happens and then it's over. And that's not bad because it's entertaining. But at the same time, the previous episodes, earlier episodes, have shown that even the boxing episode, we could set, you know, settled in and gave us a world. This is almost like, instead of giving us a world, it's like we're, we're a stone skipping across the top of the world and catching little glimpses of it, but never fully, I mean, never fully getting it. I mean, I'm going to, and it has those weird moments in it too, like, how does the gangster find out where this guy who's gone to witness protection is? Well, his son happens to be on TV for about 40 seconds, <laughs> and the gangster just happens to be in the room in the prison in front of the TV watching the local news and catching that 40 seconds. And then, oh, that's a pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's, that's a pretty coincidental. And I know the last episode had some coincidental moments that were crazy, but that one was sort of like, oof, I don't know about that. But yeah, so, it's a lot. They're just, you're right. But I, I think I like the underlying story about Robbie Rist trying to fit yes. in. 
And um, it was really like sweet, teaching him how to make friends and, and how that it's okay to hang out with the kids that aren't popular. Yes. Like there's a whole lot of really nice things happening yeah, in it. Yeah, and and I like too the concept of the family who loves one another who doesn't have a, a home and has sort of lost their identity. Yeah, meeting up and being helped by a guy who doesn't have a home, have a family, but he does have his identity. Him, him he has himself. You know, he doesn't have the family or the stuff like that. But he's he's Luke is strong. Within, you know, he's leaping over fences and doing all kinds of catching dynamite and, you know, just doing all sorts of kick ass stuff. Um, but, and I sort of, I like the contrast there between the, the families and, and even that, even in the end where they're going into witness protection again, that for a split second, they almost say, Come along with us, Lucan. And I, yeah, I don't know, I, does I that work? A... Does that work with no, witness protection? No, it doesn't. But it, I like the idea of it because Robbie Risk, that scene at the end where they split up is. Yes. It's so sweet. It's super sweet. When he's walking away, and then he turns one last time and gives him a wave, and goes and uh, yeah. It's a. I mean, overall, yeah. It's it is. It's not as good as the first like four or five episodes of the season, but it's such an improvement over the previous one that um, it's definitely it's 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 nice to see Robert Reed kind of be like, "Who are you? What are you doing on my prop?" Kind of thing. It's yeah, funny. yeah. Yeah. See him. See him acting like that. He he looks good in it too. Oh God, he looks so good. Uh, whoever did his wardrobe was like on it because he was wearing these great slacks and the shirts were just like he'd wear like pale blue slacks uh-huh. and then like a dark blue shirt and they were fitted just right. Like and the house was beautiful too. Like the set yes, design really was really nice. House, yeah. yeah, you could see like like where it had fumbled in the last episode is trying to find its equilibrium again in this one. And so I guess there has to be a middle, right, yes. where it has to figure out what it wants or where it's going. But um, but there's enough in it in terms of uh, heartfeltness. Yes. That I think that makes it like more worthwhile to me. Yeah, and I think I think it does feel more like a Lucan episode than the previous one, where I think you could have slotted in any sort of what you could have Doctor Banner could have helped them out. And, you know, <laughs> Why hulk, didn't he? Hulked out in the end and flipped that cabin over or something like that. You know, that that would have been great to see. You know? I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, but but this one definitely has a feel of, I think Lucan had to be in this just because of sort of the 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 theme with the family and, and hanging out with the little boy and, and, and stuff like that and talking to dad and, and, you know, and just, it's a, it de- definitely feels more like a Lucan episode, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, know? Definitely. And and I'm I'm glad we have more episodes after this. Not a lot, folks, but we have a few more. Yeah. Um. Did were you gonna talk about like that? Do you remember there was that weird insert when he's getting angry at the mobsters? Oh. And they yeah. cut to Lou Can, and it's it's footage from a previous episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Why? Was a weird, that was a weird moment. Yeah. I thought you were gonna bring that up, Dan. You, you're disappointing me. Yeah. No. I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot that. That that would be. Did I write that down? I don't know if I wrote that down. I wrote FBI in big letters with an exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, everybody gets involved in this one, don't they? Yeah, it's like everyone's in it, and they get a, and um, they get and and there there are like a like 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 with the previous episode, there are a few moments as we're moving towards the ending where um, I. I, I did have those moments where it's like, wait a minute, now we're suddenly on that construction site again, and now we're back in the house and everyone's tied up, and wait a minute, what's happening? I'm freaking out. Where things are happening very quickly. Yeah, it does kind of kind of do that. I don't know, but it, it's it's good. It also has a weird subplot where I guess Shelley Fabre has to come in 
mm-hmm. as a news reporter so that she can tell them where yes, uh, right, they yeah. live. And it's just it's just like a throwaway kind of mm-hmm. story. But her hair looks great. I, I, I do want to say, is is the is the the prison that the gangster guy's in, is that the weirdest prison ever? I think that's the prison that they were at in the last episode. Isn't that the work farm? It's it's well, it's so weird because I just had the episode playing here, and it starts off, and you more or less like you just see this kind of older gentleman in a in a in a blue sort of dress shirt kind <laughs> of and blue jeans watching TV, and behind him there's a bookcase, and then all of a sudden he gets really angry, stands up, walks to like his right, and suddenly there's a jail cell thing there, and there's a guard on the other side. You're like, this is a prison. It's just it looks like just a bunch of guys hanging out in like a pool hall or something, but I guess it is a prison. So like years ago when Twin Peaks was really popular, um, mm-hmm. General Hospital tried to like kind of ape it, and Faison, who was like the big criminal on the show, he got arrested, and they decked out his jail cell with like a lazy boy, <laughs> and like like they had all the stuff in it that was odd and didn't make sense yeah. and it was kind of like trying to be like Twin Peaks so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if this is like the precursor like did David Lynch see that prison <laughs> it could, it could and he thought oh I'm going to make a Twin Peaks it's it's really weird because it's like it's, I, I, you almost get the feeling when you first see it that they're just that maybe you're like okay you're watching this random old guy watch the kid on TV and he gets angry and maybe you think okay he's going to stand up and get on the phone and like and he's in his home or something, but then all of a sudden he's in a prison, <laughs> and it's it's really I mean you got to see it to sort of it's really weird, folks. It's really weird the way it's set up because it's not it's not like there isn't like an entrance way, and then you're in the room. It's sort of like there's a big wall, there's a bookcase, there's a doorway covered with a curtain, and next to it there's a big jail cell wall, sort of, and it's really weirdly <laughs> it, it's like they had like a like a study in a house and they just crammed a jail cell on the left side of it. Kind you of know, place. we were talking about Satan's blade and we were wondering oh, yeah. if the two cabins were actually yes. just one cabin with just rugs. Is this so I'm wondering house? if they could use the house Oh yes, and then just set be. it up a little different to make it look like a, a, a very warm and cozy minimum security prison for gangsters. Do you, do you think, and it could have been like, that was like, um, maybe like with a mini bar or something was, and they had it taken out and put the jail cell there and put a security guard, a, gar, uh, a prison guard there or something. That could have been it. Yeah. Huh. Because it's, been. A, it's a really weird scene because I can't tell whether or not they're trying to fool us into thinking that this is just an old guy watching TV. Who's about to do something when actually he's in prison. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's like I said. It's it's um. These are questions you're never going to have answers for. These are questions I'm never going to get answers to. And you just, I think the thing with the episode is just sort of focus on the people and the performances and sort of more or less what they're saying. If you sort of focus on set design and how this kennel works that they have and stuff (laughs) like that, you're just going to get lost. Yeah, the kennel was confusing. I, I wasn't really fully up on Dr. Les Braddock's work. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I wasn't quite sure what he did, and I'm guessing well, he's a veterinarian? I didn't. I, it was a little tough to... Like, when he tells his story to Lucan of how he wound up in witness protection, that was a little weird, too, because, first off, most of it's almost in one long shot. 
Yes, it was. But I kind of liked that because it was like, let's just Robert Reed do his thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. Well, because you, you don't normally see that. Normally you would expect in TV. You would, but, but I guess that's probably Curtis Harrington, huh? I mean, Maybe, he's yeah. From more, more, more theatrical. We got Harrington so, hard. We got, Har- we got Harrington in the room. You let him do his thing. That's right. We covered two of his films in um, Killer Bees and uh, oh, yes, that's right. Cat Creature. And yeah, uh, he's a pretty evocative filmmaker. And so, he is. Games uh, is a heck of a weird yeah, it's a, that's a beautifully shot film. It's a little questionable, like story wise, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. a Gene Kearney, I think, wrote that, the Night Gallery guy. But um, um, it's like, it's like here he's not showing the same kind of flair that he showed even in his TV movies. But there are some nice touches in it, and yes. I wouldn't be surprised. We've been talking about that, like uh, Sun Rolly in particular, hmm. on this series was really like doing crazy Show, showing shit, off, yeah, you know? doing some stuff. And the sequence where, where Lucan climbs the construction thing and gets gets the kid down is nicely done, nicely. That was good, too. St- nice, a lot of fun stunts and, and stuff like that. And um, well Yeah, I really together. liked the, the stuff with Robbie Wrist. I kind of wish mm-hmm. that that had been the whole episode. Like, they almost didn't need the witness yes, protection that... thing because it, it's really about... And it was so heart-wrenching because he... So Lucan walks him to school mm-hmm. and... He's like, you know, there's all these kids over there that you could be playing with. And he's like, those kids are turkeys. And <laughs> Lucan says, you know what turkeys are like in the wild? And he tells him this really great story about how they flock together mm-hmm. and they're kind of unstoppable that way. And and then and then he goes and makes these friends mm-hmm. and they stand up to the bullies, which is amazing. And they mm-hmm. take their part of the tennis court, right? Or not tennis yes. court, the basketball court. And, and then he gets invited to like go ride a horse at one girl's house and... And like, and he comes home and he's so excited. And then they're like, we're moving. And they, there's this great scene where uh, Robert Reed says to Lucan, well, can you go outside? I need to talk to my son. Mm-hmm. And, and so Lucan goes outside and then instead of showing what's happening, like they're showing what's happening inside, but they're doing it from Lucan's point of view. Mm-hmm. So there's that sliding glass door separating them so they can't hear yeah. what they're saying to the little boy, but he's very upset because they told him they have to move. And it's, it's yes. really well done. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, wow, this is really hitting like some of these emotional peaks that I love the show for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they're, it's, it's, I, I think you're right if they had, if they had done it, because there's something about like him helping out, you like, he's just walking down the street and there's a kid dangling like six stories off the ground. He saves the kid and suddenly gets involved with the FBI witness protection and gangsters. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty lucky <laughs> That's, that's lucky or unlucky. That's coincidence crazy is what that is. That is a little and, crazy. But, but I mean, that's the point of the show. I mean, obviously, if, no, if nothing happened, it would just be him walking for an hour, which some might enjoy. Uh, but, uh, but may, you know, it's, it's, it, but, but there might be something about like him making friends just with the kid whose dad isn't in the witness protection program. Yeah. Well, I mean this idea of like, of like how to build friendships and they could still have to move. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, you know, he could have gotten another job. He could be, they could be military kids. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that they could have done without having to have this like subterfuge and espionage and whatever they were doing. But like, but I don't mind it because I mm. like Robert Reed and I'll watch yes, him in anything. He's yeah. he's got conviction, you know. Mm. And yeah, part. you 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 yeah. You, although there there is a moment yeah when he's telling the story about what he's done to get himself in the witness protection where you thought, hey man, you you're a criminal. He is. He's doing awful, not a great thing because he's giving drugs to people. He's and he ends up giving drugs and stuff to gangsters. Yeah, things. I'm guessing he's a veterinarian because pet tranquilizers, mm. as I learned on Trapper John, are mm. like PCP. Oh wow! Okay. So, 
Uh, there's and there's and and I think they they try to sort of try to make it sound like it's he's he's an okay guy because he says something to the FBI like hey I came to you. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. So, yeah. So so it was like like one day he was just there and like man I'm in this too deep. I need to get into witness protection. Can you do that? I don't know. But but that's I I I feel like that was a moment where they were like he like Stephen D'Souza got to the end of that thing and thought wait a minute. This guy's a bad guy. He's, he's giving all sorts of drugs to people that he shouldn't be doing. That's that's yeah. super illegal. It's but pretty what, questionable behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, I did I did want to briefly talk about his the woman who plays his wife. Oh yes yes. Now I don't know that much about Ellen Weston, but and I'm going to double check this right now just in case I'm wrong. But she would go on to become a TV movie writer. Oh wow. So she was on Get Smart and like Mannix and a bunch of stuff. And oh that's right, she's the yeah. Um, She's the, uh, the the scientist who plays also the showgirl that they would always go to see, and um, and she would equip uh, Max and stuff with like um, uh, I forget if she was a is she a doctor or like a medical doctor I or just someone who gives him gadgets. I forget, but I she was a showgirl too. I don't remember, but uh, she's a really good actress, and she mm-hmm. kind of showed up in a lot of stuff. And then somewhere in the '80s, she decided to try screenwriting. And she did a movie in 1989 called Fear Stock, which stars Andrew Devoff, that's right, from the Wishmaster series, and, uh, and Jill Clayburg. And it's about a soap opera writer who's very independent, and there's a guy who doesn't like independent women, mm-hmm. and he terrorizes her. And it's like a it's like a cat and mouse where this woman absolutely refuses to give up her independence, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she did several pretty good tv movie she did one with shannon doherty called sleeping with the devil which is based on a true story about a girl who's in an abusive relationship and her she decides to leave her husband and so he hires a hitman to kill her and she gets shot six times in the back and is paralyzed and lives and they made a movie about her and it's amazing and um and then she also did the remake of the robert culp 70s tv movie outrage and this version starred rob lowe Oh, and that's awesome. just a few of the movies she did, and uh-huh. um, and she's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know much about her, but uh, every time I see her in something, I'm always like, I really want to do like an Ellen Weston deep dive, and I haven't yet. Mm-hmm. And but it's common, mm-hmm. it's common. Yes. She, she's really impressive, I think. Yeah, yeah, she's a uh, she 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 she's quite good in this. I mean, obviously, you know, Robert Reed is kind of you know takes over. Yeah, it's a thankless leads, role, but she's good in it. He leads. Yeah, he leads. Robert Reed leads the way. He, as he should. I just I just saw that scene where the reporter talks to the bad guys and they give she, she gives just gives all, all the info, info away. I, I don't fully because it's like so, so it's it's because it's not kind of completely uh, explained like so they're pretending to be people from a major network who we might think be you offering should be the news director job. because yeah. you did that fabulous story about the kid hang dangling from a five story whatever <laughs> a construction site thing and she and so we think you should be a news director at ABC. Yeah, we just decided that Walter Cronkite applied, but we think you, Barsha, <laughs> played by Shelley Fabre, should be the news director. And it's, Mike Wallace, forget it. Forget it. Forget, forget it. it. Forget and it's just like Barbara sure, Walters. Sure. No. Oh yeah, that sounds great. I, I'd love to be the host of my own major network show. The one thing though is they're wondering why you didn't follow up with that little kid. <laughs> really? They're wondering that? Yeah. So maybe I should have his address. <laughs> Oh sure, yeah, we got his address. Awesome, thanks so much. We'll we'll get back to you. Yeah, it was okay. so it was weird. It was it's, weird. It's it's a it's a weird it's it's almost it's um, it's 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 like those that car that 
drives Lucan and Pamela Franklin off the road in the previous episode. <laughs> it's just it like is, a scene yeah. that comes out of nowhere. You're going, am I watching this? What is happening here? And then yeah, it's like they, they needed to get from point A to point C, and they just fudged the point B big time. What would Yoda say? Sense it not make. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's, like, it's it, and and she's a great actress too, and it's a pretty useless role, and that's yes. unfortunate because she's great. And and that's one of those moments too where I think could it have used another draft? Like surely someone in charge, like Mister Zagor, yeah. should have stood up and gone. <laughs> this kind of stinks. I'm this, gonna this... throw a premise out there for what's happening to the show because because it's gonna mm. take a turn. Oh, okay. We're gonna switch the whole premise around. And I kind of feel like it was. I mean, we. I. It's hard to look up ratings in the seventies and get numbers, but I can try to find some ratings and see where it fell. But it, it could possibly be that the network was like, guys, this show is not doing very well, and they're scrambling to include more action or intrigue into the episodes, and so they're kind of maybe they had a script that was just about Robbie Riss. Yeah. Being a kid and his dad moved around a lot. No, no, that doesn't work. Audiences like intrigue. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be great, said the network <laughs> executive, if he was in the witness relocation program? Yes. Because then that would add mystery to it and suspense. And then we could have some gangsters involved. And you can have your Robbie Risk moments, but yeah. we need a lot of this too. And if you can have some gunplay or mm-hmm. some fight scenes, then, you know, you got it. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe these scripts That's... or the ideas were different and then as the show was progressing and they were trying to keep it on the air, they were probably taking too many notes from people who had no idea why the show was Yes. And then they were trying to incorporate them into the scripts to save the series. Because yep. I, I feel like when it changes in the next season, you're just like, oh, God, what are they doing? But they were trying to yeah. save the show. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the interesting thing here is that uh, for those of you who hang around um, for the next segment, Gemini Man, we're going to get the first episode of Gemini Man that I think begins to fiddle with the format that the show has had for the first what seven episodes yeah i think it uh, just and, comes from a, a unneeded influence from other people yes, not involved in the show it's it's like um you and i won't go any fur, further farther into the um the gemini man thing but i will say this about gemini man the episode i'm going to talk about i never aired the show was oh. already off the air, so oh. people began people, people began diddling with the show after. Well, they didn't know it was going to be off the air when they were making the episode, you know. But obviously, there's Gemini Man goes through in its last five episodes or so some fairly an, annoying format changes. Yeah, that's I, that's not so. Bad. Like I understand TV's a business, you know, mm-hmm. and it's such a weird. It's so interesting to me because movies are a business but movies also are like they have a lot more creative license mm. music has a lot more creative license but television yeah. you really like you have to struggle to yeah. get your art out there and and it's clear that the Zagor uh, you say it better than me but like he knew Zagor. he knew what he was doing yeah. you know what I mean and I feel like I'm just guessing here but I feel like the network got involved or he yes. freaked out because he wanted because that show was his baby and it was mm. a beautiful show and he was trying to figure out how to like finesse it so that it would meet these like demographics or something or mm-hmm. Nielsen ratings and that's really unfortunate when shows like this are clearly kind of perfect and yes, maybe they of. should just be allowed to do what they should do and and it's it's sad too because like at least in the 70s I guess now streaming it might be different, but like there was that weird branch, like going into the 80s and after, where like if your show didn't catch 
viewers' eyes in like two or three episodes, bye. Yeah. At least in the seventies, he got an opportunity to try it longer than a lot of other. Like, because I remember there was a show that came out in the eighties with Glenn Frey. I think it had one episode. And they were like, I didn't do that well, forget it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. what? Because so many shows, Cheers didn't do well for like the first season. Yeah. And then it became like the biggest show that television ever saw. You know? Yeah, sometimes I know that's like net, like if you were on NBC, like with Hill Street Blues, you know, that took a couple of years. Seen elsewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they took a couple of years just because I think because like a sh- uh, the, the lowest rated network NBC at that time didn't have anything else. You know, it's like what we, we have to fill up the. I, I think that was always sort of my thought. It's like it's it's like during the second half of the '80s when you put stuff against Cosby and Family Ties. Oh yeah, you at, just know. At first, they were putting up shows like Shadow Chasers that they'd cancel after eight or nine episodes. But three or four years in, you know, no one's going to watch it, so you would leave the show on for a year. Like Sledgehammer or The Flash would run for an entire season. Just, just not because people were watching them, but people did watch them. You know, but but just because. Well, what else are you going to Yeah, what and else it's like, do? why not? You know, and so, like, shows need a chance to grow. And mm-hmm. this show was, was growing in a really... I have to say, now that I'm thinking about the, the last episode, and this one to an extent, the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, NBC or whatever channel this was on was like, uh, Zagor, you got to get on the ball here because <laughs> it's not doing that well, even though it's a great show. <laughs> And it could get good word of mouth if we promoted it properly, maybe. Yes. But you, we're not going to do that. You just rewrite some of the stuff. And and we didn't actually insert an entire other show in between the first and the second episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that they totally, the, the network mishandled a lot of this. That was just that. Still, when I think about that, I st- I still think the way we should have covered this show is we should have talked about the first episode, then I should have gone off with someone else and done the entirety of San Pedro Beach Bumps, <laughs> and then we'd return with you the second out. episode. You missed out. You missed out. Uh, but I, I didn't. It didn't occur to me when I saw the gap in between the first and second episode that they actually stuck an entire show in there. Yeah, it was. It was just. It wasn't great. They, it wasn't great. Well not, is, is not. Yeah. It's and not it's fun. a testament to how good the show was that it only has like however many episodes and people still talk about it. It's out on DVD. I yeah, mean, it's got yeah. a huge fall. Not not huge like Cheers huge, but it does have a really devoted. People, people enjoy it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and Beach Bums ain't out on no, DVD. Don't see that I nowhere. wish it was. We'd cover it on here. <laughs> but ah, uh, well, the uh, yeah, I think I'm 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 interested now because like these last two episodes were ones I hadn't watched, and I haven't watched any of the remaining ones. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where it goes. Well, it's gonna change oh, a little. I don't know if it changes right away uh-huh. or not. I, I think there's I think the next episode is probably pretty good and then I'm trying I think I think maybe it's the last two episodes I can't remember but they totally switch gears okay because I'm looking here and the next episode is called the big change no I'm kidding oh the next I was episode... like what I'm looking at this I don't know that one don't do that. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a nightmare brother wolf the creature beyond the door and thunder god gold Oh, I think the oh. one I'm thinking of that's really interesting is The Creature Beyond the Door. Okay. Huh. I can't remember, but there's a, there's this guy that always plays a sleazebag in everything I've ever seen him in, and he uh-huh. has a very pivotal role in the change in Lucan. Okay. And I don't remember the actor's name, but he's in that movie. I think it's Slash Dance. Sure, yeah. I yeah. think it's Slash Dance. Uh-huh. And I, I don't mean to be spoilery, but I was like, oh, he's going to be the killer. That guy always plays an asshole. And then he, <laughs> he was the killer. Yeah. 
It was either the last dance or slash dance. It was one of those. Uh-huh. Well, um, I mean, I know you could talk about Robert Reed. So you want to talk about Robert Reed a little bit more? I would love to talk about Robert Reed. So he's a wonderful actor. <laughs> um, he did do soap operas. I think it was on Another World or As the World Turns. I think it was Another World. And he did it, I think, just to try out being on soaps. Yeah. Like, like he literally wanted to try everything. And it's interesting that even now – so like – so like TV movies are still kind of struggling to get their kind of like note in the world. Yes. But as they kind of open up, everybody always talks about like Andy Griffith and like how he did all these great bad guys and his TV mm-hmm. movies and all this stuff and other actors like that. Like Barbara Eden gets a lot of note and Elizabeth Montgomery certainly does. But like nobody ever really talks about all these dynamic roles that Robert Reed did. And a lot of it I think comes down to, the fact that you're talking about things not being available on DVD, a lot of yeah. Robert Reed stuff has languished, except for maybe Nightmare in Batham County, which was a very small role, which he was happy to take because it was a really dark role mm-hmm. and interesting. But he didn't he didn't need to star in movies. He was Robert Reed, and he was fine with not being the star of a film, which is amazing in and of itself. But like, yeah. but so much of his stuff, like he did a movie called Secret Nightcaller. Where is that? It's yeah, just, it's his tour de force, and and mm-hmm. it's it's just a shitty upload on YouTube. And so it's like, it's like, I'm waiting. We got pray for the Wildcats. We're slowly getting there, but like, mm-hmm. I want to see more of his stuff come out and I want people to be like running down the street, yelling out Robert Reed is a God. <laughs> what, where, where, what is the, it's a TV episode from around this time. I think where he plays a, like a sniper or like an assassin. Oh, you're talking, is it Harry O? I don't know. Oh. But I, I was thinking about that TV movie he made Mandrake. But he's not a sniper. Oh, I think yeah, he's a bad guy in it, though. Yeah, yeah, Mandrake. Yeah, musician. Yeah. There's also I, the th- medical center where he has a sex change. Oh, wow. So, I mean, he was hmm. all over the place, and he was trying a bunch yeah. of stuff. I want to say it's a Harry O where he plays, like, an assassin who's out to kill Harry. Ooh, I need to see and that. And so, you know, it's like, and, and it's it's the first season where Harry is living in the beach house. And he's living by like the the hill with all like the scrub brush on it and stuff, and like Robert Reed like with a like a ski cap on and and a, uh, you know a huge high powered rifle. I want to. I'm going to look that up, folks. I'll get back to you because I got the Harry O's on DVD right here. Oh, that looks but, amazing. Uh, but to David Jansen and Robert Reed in the same episode or something, I can't handle it. Too much. Yeah, it is a little too much for me. I'm getting excited <laughs> here. Forget about this T.J. Hooker thing. <laughs> Oh, TJ. Um, uh, so, so anything else on this one? I think <laughs> I think I said everything I need to say. Robert Reed is amazing. Robert Wrist is yeah. amazing. Ellen Weston yeah. is amazing. Shelley Vabre is amazing, but not in this. Um, <laughs> and uh, and this was a pretty good episode. And um, I think people should watch it. Yes. There. Yeah, and Yay. and and I will say that because this is the end of season one. Uh, this is just a warning. The next episode of Adventure Super Train, we're not going to be here because it's in between seasons. We'll be in the episode after that. But oh, maybe, if, okay. maybe if we're lucky, we might pop up somewhere doing something or other. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> no, but uh, but 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 just um just yeah just a warning. When you tune into the next episode, everyone, uh, no, we're not. Season two of Lucan begins two episodes from now. So complicated. And, uh, yeah, and Gemini Man will be almost at the end, and sadly in a bit of a spiral. And Battlestar uh, Galactica 1980 will be 
I think those damn little kids are around uh, taking over the show. So what are you going to do? Um, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, it will be. Yeah, the, the Super Scouts or whatever the ha- Ah, sorry. Um, so uh, that's the end of season one of Lucan. Um, well, any any overall thoughts on the season? Yeah, it's, fan- we- it's fantastic. It's like the greatest <laughs> show I've ever seen. And so, like, I, I love revisiting this because there were some episodes I remembered very specifically, particularly the one with Monty Markham and the one with uh, Leslie Nielsen and the wolf. And um, and then the other episodes I thought I maybe didn't like as much, but it turned out like The Lost Boy and um, One Punch Wolfson were fantastic. And, um, of course, the Stephanie Zembalist one from the very first episode right after the pilot. Uh, Listen to the heartbeat. Like, these are... Oh, yeah, that was... That was lovely. There's just so many... It's such a great show, and it's sad mm-hmm. to me that that it did have all these issues sort of towards the end where it kind of yeah. lost its footing. And... Um, but it's been a real pleasure revisiting it, and it's actually deepened my love for it because now that I'm watching it, knowing that I'm going to be talking about it instead of just mm-hmm. a casual viewer, I'm really seeing like all of the work that went into making this a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kevin Brophy is just so good, so good, so good. I mean, the 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 way I kept saying during the last episode, "There's a baby on board." Um, <laughs> the only way I kept I was watching him. He he, yeah. he was the he was the only the the he Celeste was like, Holm. Yeah, she's great. She's great too, but she's so evil. There were yeah, times that I was yeah. like, ah. But um, because and, and that, that's a good thing I think about a show like this when it has an episode that just stinks up the farm. You you <laughs> if you can if you can have something that you can focus on that you can enjoy while you're sitting just in the middle of just the diaper, the oh. diaper. Uh, I'm sorry, everyone. Yes. But it was a bad episode it, about a baby, and they changed a diaper. But it does show, like, what a magnetic actor he is. Yes. You know, that he could do that. He could still carry the show and keep you, like, in his corner, even with mm-hmm. everything else you felt let down by, you know. And I did recently rewatch uh, uh, Hell Knight, and I would oh, like to think. So I would like to think. I, I would like to think, one, maybe maybe that's Lucan that he's playing in the movie. And I also like to think that maybe he doesn't get killed, and it's just a joke. It's like April Fool's Day in the end. Yeah, but he's really good in that. I love when he tells the he story about the Garth Manor. It's it's a hell of a well done scene where he's yeah. telling the story, and then the camera starts moving along with them, and it's a big. It's really nicely, really nicely done. Yeah, I love that um, film. And yeah, so far I'm quite enjoying the series, except for that one episode that that hurt me physically. <laughs> um, but apart apart from that, I'm interested to see what they're going to do because I don't I I honestly don't know. I mean, it looks to me like it's going to become a horror show from the titles I read out loud. But um, nightmare and creature beyond the door and such. But um, maybe not. But uh, it is it is funny too when you think of like some shows like sh- some short lived shows like Shadow Chasers gets better as it goes. And the the last few episodes, the ones that actually didn't air on the network, are really darn good. But then other shows like Gemini Man kind of goes downhill, and the last episode of Gemini Man in particular stinks up the joint. Yeah, Three's the Crowd hit its stride, I think, as it mm-hmm. got towards the end. Yeah, and I, I want to say, actually, Stephen D'Souza may have written the last episode of Gemini Man. Oh. Some, someone, like, with a famous name, uh, like, you'll see the name and go, oh, that guy wrote that you got D'Souza um, baby you got D'Souza D'Souza hard and and I will say this folks when we go to the Gemini man we were just talking One Punch Wolfson just came up briefly yes this Gemini man is the boxing episode uh, of Gemini they all man. had one 
which actually has a very similar plot to One Punch Wolfson, involving, you know, someone having to throw a fight and someone being kidnapped. And so we'll see how Gemini Man handles it with an invisible man rather than a wolf boy. <laughs> it'll, it'll be great. So, exciting. so Amanda, if I were to tell you it was the end of May 2023, what could you tell us about what you're doing? Um, yeah, so recently uh, Fun City Editions, which is a Blu-ray distributor or boutique label, they uh, a couple years ago they released something called Primetime Panic. Oh, yeah. And it was this great box set, which I did a commentary for. Um, of course, now I can't remember all the movies. It was uh, <laughs> Girls of the White Orchid, Freedom, and Dreams Don't Die. And I did the commentary for a movie called Freedom, and it was a really great film, and I was honored to do it because I've loved that movie since I was 11. And um, and so they released a second set called Primetime Panic Tour. They're releasing it. It hasn't come out yet. It's going to have three more TV movies. Don't ask me the name of all of them because I can't remember. I know it's Death of Richie. A second one, which starred Pernell Roberts, and I'm kicking myself for not doing the commentary for that one, and Eileen Brennan. And um, wow. I can't think of the name. It was something at Albridge, I think is the title. And The Pernell Roberts story. The Pernell Roberts. It starred Pernell Roberts as Pernell Roberts. <laughs> in a world Roberts where there's a Pernell Roberts. <laughs> and so, but then there's a third film called The Seduction of Gina, which has a very salacious title, starring Valerie Bertinelli. That is a movie that I love, and I was really mm-hmm. excited to be asked to do the commentary for that. Um, and it's actually a movie about gambling addiction. It sounds a lot more tawdry than it is, but it's actually a really done, well done film, and it's it's mm-hmm. pretty poignant and it's really well made. And I was happy to talk about it. So that's coming out soon. I just know mm-hmm. Fun City Editions has announced it, but I don't think they've announced a release date yet. Mm-hmm. But um, you could follow them on all their social media. Just look up Fun City Editions, and um, and you'll find it. And um, for people who like television, supporting TV movies is really important. Yes. So try to get all the TV movies on Blu-ray that you can. Kino Robo sells them pretty affordably. There, there are quite a few out now. They're, yes. They're, 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 I'm, I'm actually I'm missing a few of them myself because they, they're kind of so many have come out. And, of course, I would recommend everyone buy the movie Amazons on DVD yes. because no one did. <laughs> I don't think anybody really yeah paid attention to it. But we did a commentary for that with our friend Nate. I thought it was a good commentary. I thought it was fun, and it's actually a really neat movie. Yeah. Um, it's and it's it's I don't know. It's just one of those. But they didn't have the elements, I think, to get it out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So they put it out on DVD. And I think sometimes DVDs now are like the bastard stepchild, which is ridiculous so. because it's an yes. obscure TV movie that's mm-hmm. really beautifully shot. I think it was Paul Michael Glazer's first film that he directed, yes. and uh, Dean Cundey right did the. Yes, Basil and Basil Palladorius, Palladorius did the music. He did Conan and stuff. Yeah, like so, it's this really intriguing film with Madeline Stowe before she got famous and Jack Scalia. And we researched it. Oh, did we research it? Oh yeah, and um and we're delightful. And I'm I would be happy if anybody wanted to pick that up. But I think it's really affordable over at Kino. But yeah, so like Probably. there's just so many wonderful TV movies to support, and so like. Um, if you can, you should, because that yes. just encourages them to release more and more. Do, do you have, like, of all the commentaries you did, uh, do, do you have one that, like, when, for a TV movie that you think about, you go, man, that was, that was my best, or, or I just love that so much? And no, because I, I have yet to do the perfect commentary. Like, oh. I'm not happy with any of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I always feel yeah. like, oh, I could have done this, or I could have done that. But I, really early on, 
I did Someone's Watching Me, which is a John Carpenter oh, yeah. movie. Oh, that's a great commentary. Yeah, yeah that, I, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, I was really happy with, like, all the stuff I dug up on it. And I actually, I did this thing on the commentary, and I won't go into details here, but, like, he has some references to, like, the Cthulhu mythos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's interesting, because I see that in some of his other stuff. And so I, I Googled it, and somebody... Yeah, lots wrote, of madness and such. Yeah. yeah, and somebody wrote an article about all of the Cthulhu stuff that shows up in John Carpenter's films. And I used it on my commentary. And I, of course I cited my source. I always cite my source. Of course. And then the guy was so excited because he picked up the, the release and he listened to my commentary and he was like, Oh my God, she mentioned <laughs> me. And it made me so excited because, Listen. and happy because he was really appreciative of mm-hmm. me reading his stuff and taking it seriously and then putting it out into the world yeah, in another way. Awesome. Yeah. And I love doing that. So that's the one thing I like about doing commentaries when I get to cite, other people's work and then kind of like build on it or add to it a little mm-hmm. if I can. That's, yeah. It, the, the, the best thing, uh, one of the coolest things now is I'm, I'm forgetting stuff you're on. And I'm like, <laughs> the, the, the other day I, I picked up a Blu-ray and I looked at it. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to watch this. I haven't watched. Oh, Amanda's on this. So I completely forgot. I forget what, what it was, but I had something. Kind of, I, was like, I completely forgot. She was part of that. I've, I've done so much stuff that somebody actually said, Oh, somebody said, um, uh, oh, you were, I really liked your commentary for Alone in the Dark. And I said, I, I did Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And they said, you did that and Alone in the Dark. And I was like, oh, you're right. Did you do Alone in the Dark? I did I Alone in the Dark. Isn't that funny? And, and I, was like, I was like, no, you got that movie title wrong. And they're like, no, I got it right. You're, you did a commentary for it. And I was like, oh, that's right. I remember that. It's and it's funny though this this one whatever this one was I I had forgotten you were on it and I turned it over and just saw your name was like oh of course she's on this. <laughs> yeah it's too many I'm like it's really it's fun it's 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 okay. it's great I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do that I'm gonna I'm gonna take a weekend sometime soon I'm gonna take a weekend this summer and I'm gonna call it my Reyes summer and I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna wa- listen to your commentaries and watch the the the. Uh, uh, stuff, your essays and things I'm like that. I'm going to apologize for all of that. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, stuff is fantastic. And of course, obviously, we, we like you said, we did a couple together, and I think we are delightful. We did Moon of the Wolf. Moon of the Wolf was great. I thought that was great fun. Yeah, yeah and Tarantulas was. Oh, that was great too. too. But I mean, Moon of the Wolf was like a big deal because um, I was excited. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you love that movie. You've been talking about mm-hmm. it since we started doing yes, TV movie podcast, and also. They did this amazing restoration. Not that Sorry. not that Tarantulas didn't have a great, but that's been available. Mm-hmm. Like Moon of the Wolf has really kind of been like a, available, but like in a really shitty VHS, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and they did and Vinegar Syndrome did this amazing job, like restoring a film that really deserved to get restored because I think that it adds a lot to the film. Like I think so much was taken away from it by yeah by the ugliness of like the transfer on VHS. So it's a really nice package too. Like like this comes with one of those cool their cool cases, the the sort of Rondo nominated. Not, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And as and as actually as we're recording this, I think they're about to announce who won the well, the Rondos. I'm pulling from Moon of the Wolf. I I am I uh, I did send in I did send in an email I sent in several emails. Uh, <laughs> Don't, saying, tell them that. Don't tell them. That. No, no, I'm kidding, of course, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I, well, this is my podcast. I can edit that out. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're actually really close to uh, uh, learning who who won the rondos. That's very exciting. But, I didn't get dressed up for it or anything. Yeah, neither did I. I'm just watching Luke. We're just working. We're, of, we're, we're working stiffs. Talking, we're talking, talking, and watching Luke, yeah. baby. 
It's fantastic. It's very blue collar over here. We're very my yes. bloody Valentine. <laughs> exactly. Pop up a couple of moose head beers. <laughs> Just have a good time. Uh, so, so that's that's Pariah, everyone. That's the end of season one of Lucan. We will be back in two episodes to start um, season two with the episode Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Zagor's Nightmare. <laughs> Mr. Zagor, um, Fred Silverman on the line. Tell him, Zagor, speak now. <laughs> I'll only talk to Thor. <laughs> hiya, hiya, Mike. This is uh, Fred Silverman. I want to talk to you about the fall schedule. Zagor, talk schedule. <laughs> I like the Zagor voice, but it tickles my throat. So I don't know if I can do it for that much. I just want but you we'll to do it because I know it's going to like destroy everything in this on your podcast world it would be hilarious how, how about this if one of the four episodes i think stinks as much as the baby did it um in the or whatever down the what's the name of that movie that's baby monitor sound of fear do you remember that no it's a tv movie from like the 90s sound of i i like it sound of was there sound of sound of i'm just gonna start singing the sound of silence yeah don't I won't. Sorry, okay. everyone. But that's us talking about season one of, of Lucan. And uh, next up is Gemini Man. In two episodes, Lucan will be back. Yeah. We'll talk to you then. Yeah. Zagor says goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Episode 7, 8, 9, 10. You're dead! This is, again, one of those, as with the previous one, and all the rest of them uh, didn't air on the network. The show was off the air by this point, replaced by Van Dyke and Company. This one, the story is by Richard Fielder, teleplayed by Frank Telford and Richard Fielder, directed by directed by Alan Crossland Jr. and Andy Sedaris. Andy Sedaris, of course, you may know from making some delightful movies throughout the 80s and 90s, but he was also... He was also well-known. He was a uh, sports, an actual sports cameraman. And he was known for, in the in the 60s, and this was gone by the time I was watching it, but in, in the 60s like and into the 70s when you would watch football TV, he, he sort of came up with the, the idea of during those lull moments in football, which there are quite a few in between plays and when things sort of stop for penalties, things like that, he would cut two shots of the cheerleaders. And so there came a time period, which unfortunately I missed, where the now nowadays if you watch a football game, and I I haven't watched many, but I did watch a few last year. Um, uh, you rarely see the cheerleaders. You wouldn't know the cheerleaders are there, basically. But back then, in sixties uh, into the seventies, you you would cut to the cheerleaders a lot, and they'd be jumping around and having fun, and it would be great. And apparently, there were complaints that there were too many cheerleaders. Yes, everyone, this is America, and where um, yeah, well, we can't. We just we can hand we can't handle anything in America, um, and and apparently there were complaints, so they stopped doing that. But Andy Sedaris became sort of that was a thing he did, and so he was also um, very good, obviously at um, directing sporting events. So I would guess Alan Crossland Jr. directs everything out of the ring, and Andy Sedaris directs the stuff in the ring because the ring stuff uh, between. Um, Mister uh, Mister Kingston, Mister Arch Kingston, and what's the guy's name? Is it? I forget what the uh, the other guy's name is. Gene, uh, Gene, Gene, the Mean Machine. I'm actually going to stop real quick and have a look. Gene Harris is Arch Kingston's. 
uh, foe in this one and uh, in the ring and I'm actually going to read you my review in a moment but I just wanted to give you um, uh, that bit of that bit of info but let me let me now read you my review that I wrote for my website some Polish American guy reviews things dot uh, blogpost.com of this episode and forgive me um, it's it's going to be where I am today it's going to be a warm day but right now it's in the morning it's kind of cool so I've got a window open so you may hear occasional noise you'll be okay you'll be okay here's my review and my review does mention that I bet Andy Sedaris did the boxing scenes so uh, here's the review and the format of the episodes begins to change slowly in this episode but more forcefully in the next Gemini Man had always been about Sam Casey, Abby and Leonard helping folks by the power of intersect and invisibility. The three main characters and always Sam were generally at the front of each episode. Many times the episodes would be about them. That was awesome. Most shows at this time period are about placing the lead character in other people's worlds and at times the leads can become almost secondary. One example is Columbo. It's all about the killer with appearances from Lieutenant Columbo. Sometimes Columbo doesn't appear until 10-20 minutes into the episode. That, however is an example of that format being done very well. In other shows, the main character is inserted into someone else's story. It's the supporting character, generally to never be seen again, that gets all the character development story arc. Quite a few episodes of the Rockford Files are like that. However, James Garner's charm can steamroll all else there. Gemini Man always kept his focus more on Sam and pals, although they never actually did an episode where the bad guys find out about Sam's invisibility and try to kidnap him, which seems like a super obvious one. With 8, 9, 10, you're dead. For much of the time, the focus is on the boxer, Arch Kingston, and his dad, Pop. Basically, this episode begins with Abby and Leonard watching a boxing match where it looks like Kingston is going to throw the fight. Everyone is looking around for Sam. Then Leonard tells Abby a story, the story of the last 24 hours. Leonard is friends with Arch and Pop. Arch is about to fight a championship match to benefit sickle cell anemia. Actually, uh, just a uh, thing there. The, the champ retired several years ago because um, from which his brother died. Yeah, his brother died of sickle cell anemia. Now he runs a, a charity, and he's doing this fight specifically as a charity thing to um, raise money for sickle cell anemia awareness. Um, and so championship match isn't really technically correct. Um, da, da, da. A crook named Trent, who is the um, fight promoter, wants uh, Kingston to throw the fight. Sam is sent to help Arch out. Chicanery ensues. Pop is kidnapped. The time of the fight is nigh. Will Sam rescue Pop in time for Arch to whoop his opponents behind? I like Arch. I like Pop. Trent is played by Henry Darrow, Harry O's first cop buddy in season one of that show. This episode is well-paced and entertaining. Leonard dresses as a wealthy Texan to insinuate himself into Trent's poker game and get Invisible Sam into the penthouse. Abby is, sadly, only in the framing sections. The word honky is used twice. Sam pretends to be Irish, but does not put on an Irish accent. Spoiler, good triumphs. But there's one small issue. Somewhere right after the start of the flashback until about the halfway point, the main characters here are Arch, Pop, and Trent. Arch is cool, Pop is very religious, Trent is pretty sleazy. But for a long stretch, our main characters are not really doing much. This, to me, is what most 70s hour-long drama did. It's pretty standard. The problem is that the points where I love Gemini Man the most are when a madman with a giant robot is threatening Intersect, or when Sam is making pals with a trucker who keeps CBing him and singing, or Sam and Abby teamed up on a cruise ship to find a kidnapped woman. When the characters starring in the show are the stars of the show. For a bit of this episode, our stars kind of leave the limelight. That's too bad. The episode holds itself together, though. When Leonard puts on that cowboy hat, we're back in Gemini Man Town. Population? Damn. There's a possibility that the pop-related shenanigans involving Sam turning invisible and visible a lot and beating up thugs in a hidden room in the penthouse 
might be something we've seen before. But there is enough variety here in the escape sequence, coupled with Pop's faith in God and miracles so that Sam's invisibility seems natural to him, to keep it fun. And the suspense is milked nicely because even after Pop is brought down in the ring and Arch sees he's safe, Arch doesn't have the energy to beat his opponent, so Sam has to help him. This episode works. The question is, does it set a precedent for future episodes that nobody saw? The answer is yes. In fact, the next episode is probably the first one where I will not use the term fun in the review, and I will also rarely use the name Abby, which is a shame. So that's my review for that episode. Herb Jefferson Jr., a.k.a. Lieutenant Boomer, plays Kingston, and in another bit of weird assery, stay tuned for the Galactica 1980 chat right after this. Hopefully you're going to listen to this episode all the way through, but... Um, I don't, a character from the original Galactica 1980 might show up briefly in the episode we're going to talk about. And, of course, in another bit of um, uh, uh, kind of teaming up here, um, hooking up the shows accidentally, what was it, three episodes ago on Lucan, we had the boxing episode, which has the same plot. A character somehow gets mixed up with thugs and crooks and has someone close to them kidnapped, uh, forcing them to throw a fight, but that uh, kidnapped person is released at the last minute and a good guy wins the fight. And, of course, a long, long, long time ago, in the Bob Kelly episode of Police Squad, there is a boxer in that one who has who is made to throw a fight because they've kidnapped uh, the boxer's wife and Lieutenant Drebin has to say, unkidnap the wife. Is that what it means? Is that free the wife? Sorry, I'm talking here, and I think I think I have this window open I mentioned. I think it's affecting my allergies. My nose is really stuffed up over the past nine minutes as I've been talking. I'll, I'll work with it. I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, Police Squad also has a boxing episode. So, I mean, post-Rocky, and in fact, this episode has, um, geez, I, I forget his character's name, but it's Tony Burton. Ah, I forget his character's name. He he basically plays the is the corner man, the guy who sits in the corner, slapping the boxer on the back, throwing water in his face, taking making you know catching that the mouth guard, putting it back in that kind of thing. He plays a Rocky's corner guy for a bunch of the the Rocky movies. So having him in here was a bit of a coup because oh, that guy from Rocky, and so and everyone and and yeah, Trent is great and sleazy and you know Arch is very um. Very noble. He has a scene where he meets up with a bunch of kids, and they go into church to pray with them. And like I said, one kid calls uh, the ch- uh, the uh, uh, Mister Her Herb there, or whatever. The- I was Herb. Is that the? I keep forgetting the 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 other box, the opponent's name. A honky. I think a honky cat at one point. But then the kid calls himself a ding dong, which I found amusing. Although the- although it's a it's a group of extras except for one kid who has all the lines and he's got lines he talks like this hey 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 i gotta back up from the microphone hey mr champ is we're gonna have a great time how are we gonna and it's like okay what do take out that honky cat and it's like oh man <laughs> kid it's like every line you are you are the champ and it's just like and he's got the shrinking voices up here and it's like oh my lord i guess he's great but i don't really mention that too much in the review there's a lot that i don't sort of uh, mention in the review. Yeah, it's 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 really weird the way they structure. I'm I'm wondering if the original script, because this is a story by and then teleplay by. I'm wondering if the original script wasn't told in this fashion, with Abby showing up and being told the whole um, thing, because it it's a very long story that Leonard tells Abby ringside as the fight is going on, and when he starts to tell her it. We kind of get lost in that for about 10 minutes. And then when it returns to them, 
goes and then it goes to commercial break then it comes back from the commercial returns to them and he's still telling the story you're like this is a huge fight you're watching here you're you're looking around waiting for sam to show up you know that this guy might have to throw this fight you're still telling the story and in fact he tells the story up to the point when pop shows up which is near the end of the fight and um I'm wondering if this has something to do with Abby, because I know I, I, I've read the story that Catherine Crawford only acted for a few years, and then she met one of the big, big top, top executives at one of the, the networks or studios or something, and they got married, and she never acted again. I believe she's still alive and well, but she basically became sort of a 70s version of sort of like a socialite, sort of. She just, she has a very, very, very wealthy husband who was in a, a position of power at one of the networks, and she just stopped acting. Which you, you heard a lot, like if you go back to the 30s and 40s, you hear a lot of like, and even the 50s, a lot of actresses doing that. Um, they, you know, they acted for a few years, then they married, you know, the, the guy who ran Paramount, and now they, they just, she just raises their kids kind of thing. And that's kind of what happens, I think, somewhere around here. And so you will see there's a lot less Abby in the show from this point on. And really, in this episode, all we see of Abby is... Um, shots of her sitting with Leonard sort of in a front row with several rows of extras behind them and the closing scene in the hotel. So literally, she could have shot she could have shot her scenes in one day. They could have done all the scenes at once because she doesn't get up. She, she just walks down, sits next to Leonard. She's there the whole time. So she, she literally could have shot, they could have shot all those scenes at once with several rows of extras behind them and then they could have shot the final, uh, one or two days they could have shot all of her scenes which doesn't really sort of match up with the rest of the show because Leonard still has a bunch to do when he pretends to be the Texan. Um, but but Abby doesn't. And that's that's one of the things, too, that is that I didn't mention in this review because I didn't really notice it when I first watched it. But I now, now that I know that Abby will be in the show less and less, that's why when you watch Riding with Death and you get to the second half, which is episode 10, Buffalo Bill Rides Again, Abby is sitting watching that screen, Abby, and not actually part of it because that by that point she was no longer in the show. So it's kind of tricky because they took a, a trio of lead actors who I really like together, and apart from apart from that final scene, Abby doesn't interact with Sam, and um, it's kind of too bad. Uh, but it's weird too because of course this episode never aired on the network. And surely if they made 11 episodes, they I mean, I don't know if it's something where they were contracted to make 13, if it's like a, uh, like a Night Stalker, Kolchak Night Stalker kind of thing, where they were going to make 22, but by the time they got to the 20th, they were also exhausted and the ratings were so bad they knew they were going to be canceled, they didn't make the other two. I'm wondering if that's why there's 11. Maybe they were scheduled to make, contracted to make 13, but by the time they got to the 11th, they were like, nobody cares, and Catherine's gone, finish this up and go. I don't know for certain, but I'm going to say that's what happened. But there is a definite sort of change in the structure of the episode here. Not just the fact that it's all flashback, but the fact that so much of it follows uh, Pop and Kingston and Trent. That um, it's, it's, too, it's too bad. They do fight at the Hotel Xanadu. And we do get to see Sam pretending to be a boxer, doing some sparring in the ring, pretending to be like Irish Joe McGinty or something like that. I forget what his name is. And, and you forget for a moment that they're not, that they're actually the sparring, the, the, the training room is in a conference room in a hotel. And you forget that for a moment because um, when the champ is doing his way and he needs to lose a pound, 
and he's and he spars with Sam, there are like two or three rows of just like random people that look like they could be going to see, I don't know, um, some sort of uh, show at like a retirement home in Florida or something, just sitting there and you're like, huh, that's an interesting crowd to see. And then when it cuts to the champ leaving, he leaves, having gone to plenty of Doctor Who conventions, he leaves by what is clearly like a conference room doorway. And right next to the conference room doors is like is like a table with like a water thing on it and a, one of those huge silver coffee things and all sorts of plastic styrofoam cups and, and everything. And you're like, what, they're in a conference room? Oh yeah, they are in a conference room. But it's, it's, I found it slightly amusing because for a brief bit I thought they were in a, in a, in a, bo- an actual boxing training place like in Lucan. Um, uh, this episode does have a weird moment too where Sam is taken out to the desert to be killed and then beats up a bunch of guys and comes back. Uh, which, of course, we saw several episodes ago when Joanne Paflug and that one big guy took uh, him out to the desert, put him in a cave, and blew up the cave. Uh, and they're not really too far out in the desert here. From what I can see, it looks like they're just up in one of the hills in L.A., and it's so smoggy in the background that you can't see L.A. That's what it looks like to me. This is an, It looked like they may have actually gone out to desert for the previous one. This one, it just looks like they drove up into the hills. Yeah, you can see it like... There's a scene where they're unlocking the, the trunk door. The road behind them, way off in the distance, the way it curves around the mountain, that's that's up in the hills. De- deserts are flat. You don't get curve around the mountain hills in, in you know places where they dump people in the desert. So that is somewhere, Benedict Canyon, I don't know, somewhere up there. But it's so foggy, smoggy behind them that, yeah, you can't see diddly-doo. And those poor guys, we're going we're gonna to send you out to a field and you're going to pretend to get beat up. And yes, one of you does look like Doug McClure a bit. It happens. It happens. But I, I don't, I, I don't want to denigrate the episode because I think it's a, it's a decent episode. The problem is that this is not a show, and I hope I said it in the review. And I know I tend to repeat myself, and I'm, and I, I say that every episode too. So, but there is just a feeling when you're watching the show that's undeniable that this is a show that has been about. Every, every episode, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, the last episode, there were bad guys on the ship, and they had Jane Y ca- capture that thing or the other. But the main focus of it was, like, Sam and Abby going undercover and doing their stuff. So so there was, the, the two of them were working together, which we, we hadn't really seen in an episode before, and that was, that was a cool variation. But all the other episode, whether it's someone wanting to look like Sam, or the guy with the, like I said, the guy with the robot, or the guy ripping off, um, uh, intersect via trucking, you know, or Sam may have, Sam committed a murder or not, you know, that sort of thing. All the episodes prior to this, the main focus was in and around Sam, Abby, and Leonard. This one, it really is the focus. Really is around the 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 boxer, the boxer's dad, and somewhat lesser so the 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 evil fight promoter, and the moment. I got to the end of the episode and thought, well, that was good, but that was a lot like every other 70s show of this type. I got a little disappointed because I thought, don't go down this route. Make this just be a one-off. Because they do keep, this episode does keep referring to sickle cell anemia, and God comes up over and over again, which hasn't really happened before in the show. So I'm wondering if maybe they were doing something specific with that here. Unfortunately, as you can hear from the end of my review, the next episode does not 
go the way I'd like it to go, which is too bad. And yet the show was off the air. So it doesn't, does it really matter where the show went when it went off the air, you know? Um, and I don't know the people watching it in France or England, you know, where the DVD set comes from or the Gemini Manuals, uh, Gemini Man Annual, Gemini Manual, that's the Gemini Man Annual abbreviated, the Gemini Man Annual, where that, where that sort of comes from. You know, if they would have cared when the, when the show changed around like that, as long as Sam turned invisible, which he does, he does turns invisible plenty of times in this. And there's a lot of invisibility stuff, and there's never a mention of him running out of time or anything like that. So, that's an important element of the show, except when it's not an important element of the show, and they forget about it. So let me wrap this up here. It's been a really solid show up to. This, but much like Lucan was a really solid show up until the episode la- until the episode last time with the you got you got to have my baby or whatever that was. That one stank. This doesn't stink, but it shows a bit of a change in the way the stories are going to be told in the show, which is like I said, standard, but was something I wouldn't I hoped I wouldn't have to see here. So let's let's just see what happens in the next episode and, and be good. To- oh, and are all are there any decent boxing promoters in the world from television i you know i've i've come to see that they all are crooked as hell i don't know and i'll just i'll just close with one more thing there's a scene where they come out of the church and two thugs happen to grab sam right as the champ is there which is kind of ridiculous i'm pretty sure i recognize where that area is in la because there's a school across the street where it looks very familiar and, um, and I do like the cars kind of going through intersections and kind of nearby and kind of slowing down. When they're like, oh my God, is that Sam Casey fighting some thugs with Boomer from Battlestar Galactica? I know Battlestar Galactica was a thing. Yet. And then when that cop shows up and does the stunt in the street and does the spin, the donut, and go chases the bad guys, there isn't a single car on the street to be seen. Although when they were fighting, there were tons of cars going through the intersection. I know this. I can, if this were high def, I could read what that apartment building or hotel uh, uh, complex is across the street. Dang it. Anyway, I'm wrapping it up. Uh, next up, Galactica 1980, Galactica Discovers Earth, Episode 2, You Ding Dong. <laughs> Episode 2, Galactica Discovers Earth, written by Glenn A. Larson, directed by Sidney Hayes, uh, dated, uh, air date February 3rd, 1980. Uh, this one starts off with sort of continuation of the story from the previous one with the two guys, Dylan and Troy, uh, teaming up with Jamie Hamilton to um, ask uh, the great Professor Robert Reed to help them. But at some point in there, they learn that Xavier, Xavier, uh, Richard Lynch, has uh, stolen a viper that could go back in time. And he doesn't think what they're doing in 1980, he thinks it's going to take forever. So what he does is he's going to go back in time to influence a certain 
era in time so he can uh so they can advance the technology so they don't have to doodle around in 1980 they can go back in time change the technology then and so suddenly in 1980 they'll be ready and his plan is to go back in time and give uh the galactica technology to the nazis so they can use their v2 rocket and basically make our world into earth x and uh the, the second half of the episode is our gang going back uh not with robert reed though uh back to uh, 1944 and uh trying to stop xavier from doing this and that that's the bulk of the episode uh i will uh give you a little blast of music and uh mr christopher bly and i are on the other side Galactica Discovers Earth, Episode 2, the second episode of Galactica 1980, and I'm here with the great Mr. Christopher Bly. Sir, how are you? Very good. Dun, dun, dun! Dun. On to Part 2! Welcome to Part 2, everyone, which begins on my copy with about six minutes of clips from Part 1. Uh, lots, of that, reca- lots of recap and that that's fine you know people uh you know i don't uh i it's a yeah i was gonna say it's a lot of recap i was gonna comment on people's memories from back then but i remember my memory being pretty good um and and this this i will say is is probably one of the few episodes of a television show that begins with a little kid running into his family dining room yelling <laughs> that he just saw a spaceship and his parents not believing him, and his mom instantly giving him a plate with dinner on it, and then ending with two outer space guys, a woman from the future, and a soldier from World War II in Nazi Germany trying to stop the V-2 rocket from taking off. Which one could actually react, what? What? So, So this episode covers a lot of ground, and as I mentioned the last time, this was originally, the first one, two, and three were meant to be watched in Glenn A. Larson's mind all at once, but then the network said no, and they separated them. So, so as I said, I, I found the first episode intriguing, but also had a feeling of like, eh, but that's because there's still two more to watch, and yet they aired like this, so we have to sort of watch them discreetly. Uh, not discreetly as in I'm behind a curtain and I don't, I don't want uh, Mr. Bly <laughs> to look at me. No, I mean discreetly Uh-oh. as in dis- discreet segments and episodes. So, um, uh, what what are your thoughts on episode two, Chris? Okay, on episode two, I said we have the mannerly interrogative parents who are always kind of like the oh well, you know, it's like you know how you, how you say when you see something in outer space. Do we know that you're telling the truth or are you lying? As we've <laughs> seen you done before, son. You know that kind of thing. That you just see that mode, and I said, okay, well. If you eat your vegetables and you clean up the little mud mess that you've started in the living room, maybe we'll go outside and see your ship, whatever that might be. You know, the kid, kid has a great imagination, doesn't he? Ah, yeah. <laughs> one of those things. And as they would find out, there is one. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's, without much much noticing of, well, he's not, well, the little kid's not exactly going to become a pilot anytime soon, mm-hmm. but it's almost like somebody gave him, like, the greatest Christmas gift there ever was to be in the neighborhood it's amazing because they actually landed in a place where it's actually near a house you would think it would be like a far distance that would be like kind of barren and Mm -hmm. maybe attacked by some deers or some kind of wildlife maybe a coyote or two but it just so happens that it happens to be close enough to a house where this kid could actually notice it when whatever cloaking device happened to come off of it 
there there is a bit of weirdness where the um where they um where they go looking for it with da- he goes looking for it with dad mm. and, and um and they where is it we can't find it and i thought wait it's an enormous spaceship sitting in the middle of the field what what can't you find i thought maybe it had turned invisible again but no it's in the same spot and i know it's dark but it ain't that dark and it wasn't so hunting like that we didn't get to see Elmer Fudd. Yes, exactly. I'm sorry, I interrupted your um, your, your thoughts there. No, and and also too, like I said, you know, well, like I said, you have a lot of different things there. You have the uh, a lot of the uh, oh, by the way, it also had this intriguing thing that you see a lot in the late 70s or well, actually within the 70s and 80s. There always seemed to be like a, somebody showing off the stunt of you know, there's a big chase that happens there, and there's a the car goes on its edge. Yes, the two. Yeah. And that was, I said, I mean, you could go like almost every couple of years, maybe even in the Clint Eastwood movies where you have a point where it's like, okay, or maybe more Burt Reynolds, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like, oh, we have this great stuff today. Hey, we can have the car still running, you know, yeah. on this like kind of side, this elevated side, you know. And it was a common thing. So it actually ends up popping up in this episode. Yes, thank good. And it goes around the corner. It goes pretty far. Too, yeah, which, and I, I, a little more further than Diamonds Are Forever. That's for that's for sure. Definitely, yeah, definitely Diamonds Are Forever, and um, and more the Police Academy when Mahoney parks the car, um, and in, in the uh, in the parking lot, and they actually <laughs> do that on on Get a Life too, the Chris Elliott show. Oh, classic and episode. The, yeah, the, yeah, the episode where he tries test, to get yeah. through the driver's license. And I want to also say, say Police Academy again, that there, I think there's a deleted scene from Police Academy Four where Mahoney takes Sharon Stone's character out. And he's showing off his driving skills. And I think at one point he may do the two wheels. Ooh, there you go. Thing. Mm. But I, I remember reading somewhere. I th- No, actually, I think it may have been Dave Merkin's commentary on Get a Life where he said there was basically like one guy who, did, who could do that. So if you saw that stunt being done, almost every time it was the same guy doing it. Mm. Because so, I, I, I don't know why, but he, he said we wanted to do a joke where Chris just casually puts the car on two wheels because we'd seen it in movies like Diamonds Are Forever, and we thought it would be funny. And when he said, when we looked into it, we found out there was one guy who does that. <laughs> and also, it, it shows up in SOB at one brief point, oh, too. <laughs> it's classic yes. stuff. I, I always love watching it. And mm. uh, it's it, they use it nicely here, where somehow, somehow, is it Dylan puts it on the two wheels, and it's for fun. It's a car chase through the through the Universal backlot. I could argue with that. It's sure. fun. And then we're kind of introduced to now an element that they say, like, we now could do time warp. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, now it's bringing this other idea coming into the show. So like, oh, we could go back in time and do something. And it gets to that point that our wonderful Richard Lynch that we were just briefly introduced to yes. said he, he seriously has to go back to a certain time. It ends up being 1940, World War II. And they said, oh, well, I guess we've got to go the same way, too. And they have a very intriguing way of this time warp. They use a strobe light. They use uh, some kind of a tracking thing. And a lot of this very, like, 70s kind of computer music. Yes. That sometimes you might hear on a commercial. (laughs) And sometimes it gets accelerated fast. Now, we also want to mention that the guys actually get back to their ship at some point, Mm -hmm. somehow get out of there, and... They bring the reporter along with them. Yes, she and is. Somehow they, and they have an extra helmet for her. So basically, you know, she kind of fits in with them helmet-wise. And, as it was, and it was lucky too that they, um, they, they, they ran into this reporter because she's an expert on history. 
Mm. So, so basically, she's like a good catalyst on that one. But yes. also, too, it's weird because a lot of that electronic music, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Lipstick, but there's a point where oh, there's yeah. just like, yeah, there's, yeah. the electronic music kind of sounds like the psychotic music that uh, Chris Sarandon plays mm -hmm. in Lipstick, funny enough. So I okay. said, so that was when I was hearing this kind of like time warpish music and it was starting to get faster. I'm going like, well, geez, if I didn't know better, I said, did we steal this from Lipstick, perhaps? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those things where they when they travel through space. I wasn't sure if they were going into hyperspace or traveling through time. They yeah, travel. I think it's a, it's a mix of both. Yes, yeah, like, well, they, they go with the scientific saying, oh, you know, if you go up to the speed of light, you could just about go anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. but we can never get like, you know, how far do you know when it comes to like a specific date? You know, mm -hmm. that's the only question. That's kind of like the opening on that one. So I, I, I want to point out that there's something interesting or I found it interesting in that with the little boy and the ship in that the little boy sees the ship. And his parents immediately don't believe him and are chastising him for everything. Although mom has the plate of food underneath his under on the on the table next to him within seconds. It's like <laughs> she knew he was going to walk in the house because she has a plate full of food prepared for him. But the interesting thing is that when so so yeah so mom and dad are like stop telling stories blah 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 whatever whatever then they go find the ship. And then the guys take off in the ship with uh, with Jamie, the reporter, and Dad and this boy return with the policeman, and the policeman treats Dad and the boy the way Dad and Mom treated the boy, mm. and and it's 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 um it was slightly tiresome, but at the same time it was kind of interesting to see sort of like I'm wondering if the reason why Dad treats the boy like this because when the dad was younger he saw lots of stuff and no one ever believed him. And this is the way he was treated when he was a kid, and because because I kind of like it because when the when the dad and mom are chastising the boy, he's clearly kind of hurt by it. You don't believe me, but when the cop is doing it to dad and the boy, they could care less. Yeah. Uh, what did you see? And they're just like they're they're kind of like they're bonding over what they saw and yeah, what's I, not there. They they actually watch the ships. Do they watch the ships take off? No, the yeah, ships, yeah, they uh, watch, yes, yeah, they did. Yeah, but also the other thing that comes out of that too is I said the I wish there was like a deleted scene where they're talking to the cops and all of a sudden what pops out of Dad's uh, pocket but a flask say ah now we know where this is going <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, it's okay. a spaceship uh, okay. okay you can't see no spaceship yeah. <laughs> Those shooting stars are, it's okay, it's, it's okay. You, know, you go back to your ships and go back to Spaceship Earth, whatever the hell that happens to be. <laughs> Um, what 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 else? Uh, uh, oh, you, you, oh, um, I, I just want I want to say that I do. Sure. I it it is kind of interesting the way he structured it, where we basically get like an episode and a third doing this one thing, then mm. the remaining like half hour is this other thing. Yeah, and so and you're it, wondering what's exactly is going to happen in the third episode, mm. um, because the as you know the, the I'm not going to say the way I thought the three hour saga of Star World was structured, but this is kind of an interesting structure. You think it's going in one direction, then it all stops dead to go in another direction, mm. and, and we uh, start to follow that. Now the other thing too is that we're finally clarified as to how long the disappearance oh, is yes. that we're told in it. We're told 24 hours. Basically. Yes. Yeah. It seems shorter with the ships, but I guess somebody didn't, you know, they said like, well, we need to recharge it in order to kind of, you know, re-energize our little cloaking device that we have here. And I guess, you know, kind of like the phones these days, we never know when the thing's going to die or not, yes, you know, but true, yeah. 
It kind of kind of foresaw that. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing is also, too, when we go on to the ships, we're introduced once again, but very oh, briefly, yes. to a familiar face. And I say, well, if we don't have Apollo and Starbuck in this one, it's like, how the hell did Boomer make it through here? Because you know, yes. he's here, a little bit of gray hairs. I guess he's kind of taking on the Colonel Ty position. That's what I thought. At this yeah, point. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was nice to see him, because for a split second, I was like, wait a minute, is that, hey, oh, it's nice. Mm. It's nice to see, because as we said last time, it isn't like this is, the show was made like 10 or 15 years later, and none of the actors are available. The actors Mm. are still around, they're just six months older. You know, it's just that for whatever reason, they couldn't, um, I think I remember, I forget which one of them, uh, like, couldn't do it because they were doing like I forget if it was Starbuck or Apollo that you know the, the actors he couldn't do it because he was like doing something else and mm. then the other one was interested and read the script and was like ah, I don't know uh, I can't really tell where this is going or what the I, character I think we could doing. I think we could figure out which ones happen to fit that criteria right there mm-hmm. uh, it's right. Uh, but it's it's nice to see it is nice to see one of the other characters here because I was wondering they mm. they can't all be gone if Adama's still here. Why is everyone? Where did everyone else go? I guess they're all doing guest appearances on BJ and the Bear. Or they've Sarah reassigned Bobo. themselves to other ships somewhere in the with, galaxy here. With Buck know? Rogers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows if Lieutenant Greenbean or Jolly has uh, found yes, their way true. over to that? That's true, yeah. Uh, I do like the. Um, I, I I find the 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 concept sort of intriguing that um, uh, they're in 1980 and they're sending the people down there to. Uh, work with 1980 and the Xavier character just says no no to hell with that let's go back in time influence them back in time and get them so that we so that you know time changes and they are up to date where we need them to be right now and it's a it's an intriguing episode it's an intriguing idea if if this was not earth that Mm. would be something but then if it was not Earth, we wouldn't fully understand the changes. I don't think that would have to be explained. But if this was not Earth, that would be something you could do. But because it is Earth, you can't really do that, and they have to stop them. And again, because I have to mention it, there was a Doctor Who from the year before called City of Death that had a character in it named Skaroth who is doing the same thing. He he exists in, at certain points across Earth's history, and he spends the entirety of Earth history getting them to a point where they are in 1979, where he can build this machine, where he can go back in time and save his people. And oddly mm-hmm. enough, that was written by Douglas Adams, too, like the previous one I talked about. But I, uh, but it's funny that in, a, in another show, doing what Xavier are doing is definitely bad guy behavior. In mm. this one... In some contexts, it makes sense because they could literally spend a generation or more on that ship mm. trying to get the – and can they keep the Cylons at bay the whole time? Probably not. Mm. I would imagine there would be some point where they have to fight the Cylons, and if the Cylons discover Earth, well, we're dead. Unleashing, yes. Yes, so it's um, so it's kind of a it's, – it's kind of tricky because what Xavier is doing, he definitely shouldn't be doing. I mean, I don't think he under, he clearly doesn't understand. He clearly hasn't read all of the history book if he's helping the Nazis out. Sure, and yeah, which which we find out, you know, kind of in a slightly last one. But previous to that, we actually are introduced to our one canon guest star in this thing. There, <laughs> we see somebody land, and it ends up having to be Christopher Stone. Yes, and and he's basically like somebody that's basically be like, oh well, why don't you help? 
us liberate some of these people and hide the people. So it's kind of like going through that mm-hmm. World War II story of, you know, let's let's hide the people that we know and kind of like, you yeah. know, find a way to get them out of here with all the situation. Now, it's surprising to me that when they time warped themselves over there that they didn't somehow through some way run into Kirk and Spock. <laughs> kind yeah, of similar true. to the episode that they did because they go, yeah. well, they did have to go through their uniforms and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, kind of fit in with the the time and, you know, the whole situation at that. So there, there is that strange thing where they're all in their brown outfits and they all turn white. Well, that was the other thing. It's like, it's like so, so when we time warp, everything goes white all of a sudden? You know, it's, it's, is it as white as Dr. Z's outfit is the question? Because maybe it might give them a little bit more intelligence when it comes to as we start to learn from Dr. Z. It, it's funny because when it turns white, it's not like everyone suddenly goes, what the heck? Because previously when we saw their outfits do that, they were amongst those gods mm. in Battlestar Galactica. They would go into that space where um, – I think Apollo had like died, and then he was brought back to life by one of those guys. And and in there, everything turned white. For a second, that's what I thought was happening. But they're like, no, nope, no, nope, it turns our clothes white. And then I thought, you know what? You'd save on losing a lot of brown uniforms if you just made the white uniforms for time travel. Mm. Because a white uniform isn't going to change white if you change white when you time travel. I mean, or does that, I, I don't know. Is that something Dr. Z didn't think of? Well, they never ever, ever thought of the maybe the glow in the dark capability, so they didn't have oh, that exact true, yeah. thing to say like you know, oh, if you light it enough, you know, you close it and it illuminates, illuminates. just like any kind of like nicely like glow in the dark stick that you get for Halloween. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so they, they they do make it to World War Two, and uh, yeah, Xavier is there, and he's prepared the V two, um, uh, which we know didn't didn't succeed when they used it. So we're hoping that same thing mm. will happen here, uh, and we do have a. Uh, we, we do have a scene here, which I, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on, um, where they show people being loaded into the boxcars taken to concentration camps. I'm not 100 percent sure that Galactica 1980, which so far, which 15 minutes before had a sequence where the car was on two wheels, can handle the drama of people being taken away to the camps. I think. I don't know that that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it and was like, okay, I get what you're doing, and I understand what you're doing, um, and I understand that you have to bring it up. Um, you also don't have to. Um, you know, Hogan's Heroes certainly didn't over the course of six yeah. years. If but Hogan's the- Heroes had stopped to show people being put in the boxcars, then the humor would have, the laugh track. Actually, the laugh track probably would have just kept going. Um, but it, it, it is a strange scene because I get what they're doing and I get why they're they're doing it because it's sort of to put more gravitas on everything. Mm. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I I don't know that this is the type of I, I almost feel like if if this were like if they had done something like that sort of metaphorically during the original show, it would have worked with like another race of people where we were like, oh, they're meant to be that. That would have worked. But actually showing it happen, and they rescue a little girl who gets caught again, what happens to her? Um, and and it's, it, it, just, it, it was a strange, like I said, I may, maybe it'll be, we're only two-thirds of the way in technically, but it just felt like, I don't, that, that seems, that's too serious. It's a strange silly, tone. For your silly time travel show with this really odd structure that we haven't figured out yet. 
It's a silly tonal choice right there. Yes, but also, yeah. too, I said, well, you're kind of saying to yourself, is this Battlestar Galactica or this is the time tunnel? You know, like it makes True. you wonder yeah. that, too, a little yeah. bit. It's like Voyagers now. What are we doing? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, but the other thing that comes out of that, too, was that, you know, when they had that spaceship, I was kind of hoping that there would have been an angle where the kids snuck onto, like, the spaceship, like, in, like, the trunk or something. Oh, yeah. And, and then they're like, oh, no, we've got them stuck in time. Now what? Oh, I mean, no. We could have had the next boxy out of that whole thing had they like looked and maybe that little kid goes from his parents who is so interrogatively polite and saying like oh you know you and your stories to yeah. all of a sudden now he's becoming part of the colonial army yeah. and now maybe we may have another dagger like I said it would be like little by little the pieces are yes. starting to fit you know yeah wow that's and he somehow and, and he he winds up back in World War Two and he somehow gets together with his grandmother. Like Fry in Futurama, and sort of, and it just gets weird. It just gets weird. Yeah, and watch out if that night that uh, World War Two turns into a Pac-Man universe, as it did also in oh, Futurama oh, as well. Yes, yeah. And then, and then when they bring him, oh no, I'm not going to say that. That's a bad taste. I was going to make a joke about a brown uniform, but I won't. Yeah. Uh, I won't do that. Um, well, so, they're, they're uh, full of them in this the show anyway. So what difference does it make in that case? That's true. That's true. Um, uh, so, so what else on this one? I mean, it's uh, it's. It's I, I I sort of like the time travel thing, although if it's going to be nothing but Xavier's going back and we have to stop him from doing everything, I I don't know that that actually advances what the Galactica actually needs to do. That's the, that's that's the thing with the World War Two thing is it's it's fun to watch, but at the same mm -hmm. time it's like this is damage control. We need to be moving ahead. Right, and it sticks. And also, too, we've we've now abbreviated Robert Reed to just a few lines, yes. and we don't see him as much. You know? He just shows up. He's got some wacky moments in the car where it's like on its side, and Barry Van Dyke's pressed up against him, and he's like, "I don't want any Van Dyke getting that close to me." Um, but uh, what was I? Um... Well, at least nobody tripped on that one, you know. Yes. In case yes. Oh, oh, and I I did forget to mention. I want to say hi to myself in the. Um, Lucan segment because the Lucan episode Amanda and I talked about earlier in this episode yes. stars Robert Reed and a certain cousin Oliver. It comes all back around as you yes. can see here. So and yes. they play father and son in that episode. So oh, although well, these, I don't think you see Doctor Z in this episode, do you? Uh, you do briefly at some okay. point there, but not as much as you see him in, in episode one. one he does get he, they do come back to him about something, but very briefly, kind of the, almost the same way that you come back to uh, Robert Reed in that case. So yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, yeah. What else do you have on this one? I mean, like I said, I, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting episode. It's set up, you know, and also too. I said, well, just as what we assumed Richard Lynch was going to be, kind of playing along with this. It's kind of like very last moment we say, okay, this guy, this Xavier is not as much as we think he is in this case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, and that's basically your closing moment is showing the rocket and basically saying like, okay, well, he's here for this thing. So yes. and he says, well, you know, you find out something else, which ends up happening in part three. Okay. Yes, and he does. You you could tell he's going to be trouble. I think I, I put the quote here that when he's talking to Adama, telling him his idea, we go back in time and we just we give them guns early, we give them nuclear power early, and we get them so advanced that this present day world morphs and changes. So now we can land because they're ready to fight the Cylons. And at one point he's talking to Adama and saying, and he says, "I'm a great leader," hmm. and I thought. 
yes, you must be because you told me. Yeah. And that's well, how you well, can spot a great leader. It's basically a more serious color coast right there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, it's it's like, yeah, it's uh, Baldur. Uh, so, so what else do you have? I'm gonna scan my notes that's, one more time because it's it's tricky. There's not much to say about it. It's There's not a, much to say. Only that this is really like the middle of the road episode. I'll true. put it to you this way: If you thought that this was the better part of the three, I said, well, I guess you got like they have things in the middle. <laughs> and not something that feels like you've got something that's because you kind of need to go through this in order to get to number three. Yes. And it has that feeling of that, too. You know, it's like it's not like it really you does, can watch yeah. it on its own. And so it's, if you watch it on your own, you'd be like, oh, what the hell is this? It's like they're in the midst of this. They have this. And it's like, oh, so now it's are we assuming that this is going to become the time travel show version of Galactica yes. in some way? We don't know. But. We do have part three to kind of look forward to see how does this thing all unravel as it, it does, basically. Yeah, so. and because and, I've written down here that it's around 17 minutes when they get back on the ships. So mm. that's that's when it starts to, and over the next few minutes becomes the time travel thing. But you got to remember the first six minutes are recap. Yeah. Once so, again, so, we, we we've got like lots of recap here. Yeah. So so you get so you get 11 minutes with the 1980 story. Then you're on the ship for about. Eh, six or seven minutes or so with the ship and on the ship and then the time travel stuff is the last 20 or so minutes of it so it's kind of interestingly str- and again i i really feel like if we if we could see this all the way through it it might feel less oddly structured and more like kind of a shift in the middle of a larger um, piece of something like like a second act that's doing something different yeah. to lead us to the third act rather than because it happens like a third of the way into the episode, it just feels strange that you start off with this going in one big direction, then at the end you're going in a completely different direction. Yeah. Other yeah. than that, you know, I just have driving skills, and that's pretty much it. You know, and you that got one, it. along with that. So yeah. So so there you go. So that's uh, Galactic Discovers Earth episode two. So Mister Mister, can I call you Mister B right now, like in I- Hazel? <laughs> Mr. Oh, Mr. B, I almost feel like that's almost like a different strokes, but that's, that's Mr. D. Oh, Mr. Like, D, yeah. Mr. Oh, B, Mr. D. It sounds it sounds very like similar there, you know. Yeah. So so um, we're, we're, what what are you up to online? What's going on? Well, you know, I've been or following anywhere. anywhere. I've been kind of following, you know, basically my nose as to where uh, film gets shown, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's thirty-five, seventy, or sixteen millimeter. And been kind of like catching up with certain stuff, whether it's a first time view or a, a next time view or, you know, in a, in a venue to have me catch up a little bit with my cinematic viewings and to kind of see where I might be going or what I might be posting or any kind of like life experience that's been going on with me within the year of 2023. You could find me on Facebook.com slash Captain Bly. And you could uh, go on to Twitter with CaptainBly76, Instagram, I'm under the same name there. And you could see some of the fun that I've been dealing with, even though a particular show that I usually attend, thanks to the writer's strike, uh, isn't going on. There's other stuff that I have to fill up my time with, too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you again, and we'll be back next time with, oh boy, the final part of the first big, big Galactica 1980 story. We'll We'll see what happens. But for now... Let's wrap this baby up. Here we go. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, where can you find us online? At eSuperTrain1 over on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook, eventually Supertrain.blogspot.com. 
Uh, and then you can email me at dannyslacks at yahoo.com. And before I sign off, I'll just... I, th- I think the show that replaced... Well, give me a second. One, two, three, four, five, six. I think the show that replaced Lucan for at least six of those like eight weeks was The Six Million Dollar Man. Because I'm showing The Six Million Dollar Man was on Sunday. Lucan was on Monday. And according to Wikipedia, it says, it, it lists in the time slot, in the Lucan time slot, it says San Pedro Beach, Beach Bums, Lucan, then Six Million Dollar Man. And Six Million Dollar Man was in its fifth and final season, and its last episode aired March 6th. And the baby episode of Lucan aired March 13th. And on January 29th, uh, which was a Sunday, Return of Death Probe Part 2 aired. And then the next day on Monday, a two-hour episode aired. January 30th, 1978, was Lu- when Lucan did not air. So it looks like the $6 million man re- replaced Lucan. And then I guess they showed the two episodes of Lucan and maybe replaced it with more $6 million man? I don't know. But it looks... Wow, so... Wow, that's weird. So they showed the first episode of Lucan... And then the entire run of San Pedro Beach Bums, which got canceled. Then they did the next four episodes of Lucan. And then six or seven episodes of Six Million Dollar Man to end a run to that show. And then the last two episodes of the season of Lucan. That is weird. How, what was the production like on that? I guess they probably did all seven at once and had no idea when it was going to be aired. But wow, that is weird. I'm going to have to tell Amanda that when we start season two. I don't think she knows that. And I'm hoping I'm right when I look at that. But that date-wise, that seems to be correct. Wow. Okay, well, that's the end of the episode, everyone. Let me play a little music, and uh, we'll be back next time. Episode 149, which, as we're at the end of a season of a show, you can imagine, might have a slightly special structure to it. But we'll talk about that then. Be good to yourselves. Listen to this. (laughs) 